to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be in chapter 2 of Philippians, finishing out the end of that chapter. Again, sorry for the um, uh, technology problems this morning. There was a multitude of them. Um, People used to joke me all the time because I would always have two or three blue pens. If you notice, I have pens with me usually, so I'll have two or three. Or if we were doing something, I would have two or three maps before um, phones came out, and I would have two or three sets of stuff. And so I got mocked all the time because of your backup plans and your backup plans and your backup plans that I would always have those. And so, um, and then um, I, I've meant to for a long time for us to get a secondary uh, universal remote for that, or just you know even just getting a new TV or whatever. And so. Um, we're sorry that we were not able to do that. Um, we'll also have a, a pr- special prayer time. I, I put in there some slides um, about um, the Middle East. I've been our friends, the Krebs, who are missionaries there um, in Amman, Jordan. And um, then also, uh, so what's going on with Israel and the Palestinians and Hamas, but also um, the bigger picture of the Middle East there about, about souls of men and women. And then also with um, the Ukraine and Russian war going on. Um, and just to be praying for them, and, and great effects of that is our friends um, Chris and Melissa Robinson. They're uh, missionaries stationed in Latvia. So Latvia is one of those countries that, you know, one of the growing concerns is that if this goes down with Ukraine, then, then what else will be taken over? And Latvia is one of those. And so um, that's a, a big issue. And then um, um, just this past week, um, we got some word from some friends of ours, and are really close, one of the best friends of uh, the PACs, um, and and, I, and he was one of our college students. Um, his name was Kevin Dotson, his wife Joni, and um, they uh, got news uh, about 10 days ago that their son, who's four years old, has a tumor um, at the base of his brain stem. And so inoperable, um, zero uh, recoveries, zero um, uh, t- chances of, of living. And so they flew to St. Jude. And so just, uh, you know, horrific news. Um, and yet sitting there with Kevin in the hospital, um, just to hear him saying, we want his life to count for something. We want his life to matter. And so um, the, trying to get things on social media, just about their hope and their trust in God and watching their four-year-old, um, just, it's just devastating. And, uh, and then, um, then that was one, one night I was at Children's Hospital at St. Jude and then St. Francis. And then about four nights later, um, if you've heard about the Bigsby teen that was killed, um, um, Kenzie Wright. And so uh, her mother, Krista, uh, was my coach's daughter. So I grew up in Krista's home. And so we just got a text saying that, hey, Kenzie Wright was killed. Uh, was, uh, she's in uh, the ICU now and they're doing surgery. She was hit by a car. And so um, went up there and it, they said from the beginning, it doesn't look good. She had a, um, uh, her brain was unresponsive. And so um, then we was up there from 10 till about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, uh, just, they you know, come out about 1.30 and said that the doctors had said, this is, there's nothing, the medications that she couldn't stop bleeding. And so, um, man, life is a vapor. 
You never know. We, we can disguise it. We, we can prop it up with your, your best-looking body, your best-looking clothes, your best-looking career, your best-looking house, your, your best image in front of anyone, and, and at any second, life can be just taken. And, and you would look at those things and, and praying with Kevin and Joni, just thinking through like, man, God, why is this happening to a, a little four-year-old boy? Why did this 15-year-old girl who was just driving down the road with, it was a mom driving with three girls and just barely got clipped on the back, not even a bad wreck, could have just ran into the ditch and been fine, but their vehicle kind of skidded sideways and a car slammed right into her and just devastating um, trauma to the body. They couldn't even stop the bleeding. And then the brain damage, she was out without oxygen to the brain for two to three minutes. And so you, you just go, God is no late ambulance chaser. He, he, God is no... Um, deity that was so busy with the Middle East that he got so busy over here, and then, oh man, some accidents happen over here. We don't want that view of God. And yet it's hard on us to look at the reality of some of the things that go on, a four-year-old with with an incurable brain cancer. So um, those things are devastating to our souls. They're devastating to life. They're realities. And if you've lived long enough, you know it's just a matter of time before your family gets some of those news that, that are shocking to you. And so um, we have a God who is in control and sovereign and loving. He's a good, good father in the middle of that. He's battling back from the fallenness of mankind, what sin has caused, death, disease, um, hurt, um, human frailty. And so um, God has a plan to redeem. And so we're going to be praying for those things next week also. So be praying for those um, two families, the Wrights and the Dodsons, and then also uh, continue to pray for um, just the souls of the people that are in really tough circumstances throughout the world. And it's not just the wars going on. There's people in all kinds of uh, natural disasters that have been dealt with lately. And so, um, um, and we know that our country that we would like to look at is so powerful and strong is being shown. It's not our answer. It's not our hope. It's not what we trust in. A very frail, very weak, even though it's one of the greatest nations to ever uh, be uh, on the planet Earth. But we see that we are weak and frail, and we need a powerful God. So as we go into Philippians 2, um, Paul is going to be giving these examples of things that he has just talked about as we went through the beginning of chapter 2, and then to see that he gets to um, this place where um, he's talking now at the end of chapter 2 about two examples of Christ-like living. So um, there has been some debate over the different centuries on whether Paul got to the end of chapter 2, and remember, he wasn't writing like a chapter 1 and then a chapter 2. He was just writing a letter, and we know that letter was being handed to Epaphroditus, and that's who is in this letter. We'll see some comments from Paul about Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus had delivered this letter and, um, to him, asking some questions, and then Paul is writing a letter back to the church in Philippi. Um, and so um, in that, Paul goes on, and it looks like he's closing the letter. So there's been some debate because he goes into his travel log, plans of coming to visit you. Typically in that time period, think through no phones, no internet, um, just letters. And so letters would sometimes take months to get to somewhere and it would be a long time plan to let them know, hey, in the future, maybe next year, maybe in two years, we would like to travel across the seas or across long distances to come and see you. That was usually put at the end of letters. Paul goes into that, which makes people think that he was closing this letter down. And then all of a sudden, 
you go on from that, when he's talking about his travel plans, he goes on to, and he says, he starts what we have as chapter three, the word finally, finally brothers. And then he goes into these warnings and exhortations, watch out for these dangerous, evil, false prophets. And so uh, these dogs is what he calls them. So there's been confusion. Um, and, and so interpreters have battled through that. Scholars have battled through that. That travel log being at the end is not necessarily Paul's uh, main idea. He, he, he does it several times in other letters where he talks about um, the plans that he has in the middle of different letters. But what is very clear that he is making um, sure that they understand this to this Philippian crowd. And remember, the main reason he's doing this, he cares for them. He's wanting them to know that he's doing okay as he's imprisoned. But he also wants to fight back against the disunity that's happening. There's some disunity spreading. And so one of the things he's doing in this letter is he's stepping forward as the apostle. He's going, I I want to remind you as the apostle, meaning I'm connected to our King Jesus. I'm an ambassador. And and he's wanting to let them know there, there, there is some power. There is some authority that I have. And if I come to see you, I hope that this letter gets you to respond differently. So that's what Paul's doing there. When you read through that, if you're kind of confused or if you, if you caught on to that and thought, well, it looks like he's closing this, he's, he's being very gentle. And if you remember in the first segment, the opening of the letter, the greeting that, that all letters had, in other letters, so the two Corinthian letters, uh, Galatians definitely, um, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, um, some of the other letters that he wrote, he started out with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Remember this one? He didn't state his apostleship because he, he, it was a, more of a loving, encouraging letter. And so, but he does throughout this letter want to state to them, um, hey, it's kind of like when the teacher's been gone, there's been a substitute, and then the teacher sends a, a note to the class, I'll be back Monday. So you better be in good shape, right? And so they, oh, I, I will be coming to visit you. And he's not doing it in a mean way or anything, but he wants to see them conform to the image of Christ. And so that's what's going on at this section. Um, he's sending his emissaries also, as we'll see. And he wants to give the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus as these are the guys that I would send forward to you, Epaphroditus from your own congregation. I'm sending him back with this letter. And then Timothy is, is one of my closest guys. And here are the um, trustworthy elements about these two men. And so that's why um, they also tie this to this, these examples. What was Paul just giving the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus of the exact type of living that he just described in the first parts of chapter 2. So let's read chapter 2, um, 19 through 30. If you want to turn in your device there, sorry, we do not have the slides this morning. So he says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So do you see what he's saying there? I'm sending Epaphroditus now. I hope to send Timothy soon. And then I hope to be coming, if we get good news as I'm imprisoned, that that I'm not facing death. I'm hoping to live on. But he knew that the death penalty may be coming towards him, and it was a pretty good chance. Then he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. I'm reading your word, gazing at Christ in your word, the the person of Christ, the work of Christ. We're amazed at this story of of redemption that you've offered to us. We see these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we want to glean wisdom. We want to glean understanding from your spirit on how that applies to us. Um, Would you help us to see some things today in your word that would bring us into closer conformity to Christ, that would glorify you, that would honor you? Again, we are amazed by your love in a world that seems so broken. As we look at and pray for the Middle East, we pray for those in Israel, we pray for those of the Palestinians that are unsaved, that are without Christ, that are looking to other false gods, we pray for them that there would be salvation poured out on them. Father, for those in, um, in Europe with um, the Ukrainian people, with the Russian people, um, with the other provinces and, and regions, we pray for salvation to pour out in a time where it doesn't make sense for good news to come. Um, Father, we pray for these families, the Dotsons, and we pray for um, the Wrights as they're going through tremendous uh, pain staking circumstances, Lord. Um, We we don't understand everything. We have heavy hearts to join with them. We pray that you would lift them up, bring them near to you, and let them know your presence. Um, Let them um, continue to look to Christ and eternity beyond just the present day experience. We thank you that you are powerful enough to do those things, to secure hearts, to um, keep people together, and to bring salvation to people who um, have no other hope but you. In your name we pray, amen. So as we go into this, I'm looking at um, what Paul's laying out, like I've mentioned about uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, what laid the the grounds for this. If you go back and and you want to look at what would it be that Paul's talking about Epaphroditus being willing to give his life, what would it be that that Epaphroditus would be willing to, to lay down his life or to give his life for. So what was so worthy that he would be willing to go through this sickness for, to get this news to Paul? Um, uh, If if you remember, we went back to the the Christ hymn is the thing that Paul had just went through. So if you remember, I had a slide up there, but this is in um, Philippians chapter 2. If you remember this, if you want to look there in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, um, Remember this, right before this, Paul went into this Christ hymn that we learned was a a tribute and a hymn to Christ. And he said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And we, we talked about how that is shocking. 
Um, all other religions and belief systems, what do they do? All other philosophies and belief systems. They have humans trying to be good enough and work their way up towards God to learn what the good rules are, to learn good morals, to learn good deeds versus bad deeds, and to live that type of life, hoping that this deity will see what I'm doing, that I'm living good enough, that my deeds are good enough, and that I will be accepted into that form of heaven, right? All other religions have mankind, man and women, working towards God. And yet this story is rare. It sticks out. No other story like this where it says that Jesus in the form of God, the second person of the Trinity, lowered himself and humbled himself and came down as a man. No other deity has done that. And then the second part, it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obediently, uh, I'm sorry, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, always was God. He always coexisted with the Father and with the Spirit for all eternity. And then he didn't lose his godness as he came down. He was still fully God and now fully man. Great mystery. Most people, I mean, there's, you could read books and volumes for the rest of your life and, and probably not get to the, the depth of, of, of how God did that. But he's still fully God and fully man. So now you have God coming and dying for every wrong thing that you've done. That's completely different than you trying to be good enough and get approved by a God or a deity, right? And so you have God lowering himself, still fully God. So you have God on the cross, dying for sins. Just a, an astounding, shocking story. Um, not only does he humble himself, but he, he comes to die for those who didn't even deserve it. Um, those who are trying to be good enough, trying to be nice enough, trying to be sincere enough, or even devoted enough, that maybe God would let them in. And, and that, that's just a crazy story. And it says, therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess. So right here in the Bible, it just says that no matter what people have done, whether they've lived a horrific life, whether they've lived a really, really good moral life, whether they've been trying to uh, pursue other gods or make their way to other gods, this says that at this one person, at the name of Jesus, every single knee at one point is going to bow. So when we get to the time of judgment, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, truly, you are God of true God, true God of true God. You are truly the one true God above all things. You're creator God and you're redeemer God. And I, and I confess that, and now I see that. And some of those people are, are going to be sent eternally away to hell. because It's not because now they're worshipers. It's that this truth has come out that every single enemy will have to bow before Christ. Every false deity, every false god, every satanic um, um, demon, Satan himself will bow a knee and confess with their mouth, truly, you are Lord and master of all. You're creator of all, and you're God of all. So what a beautiful story. And so based on that, that's why Epaphroditus can enjoy, go and sacrifice, and go and and on the way to Paul, get really, really sick and almost die. And it takes several months to, to recuperate is what historians tell us. That it probably took a few months. And, and why? Because that Jesus that was truly God and come and lowered himself 
to die for our sins, he's worth it. And that's what, what Paul's going into here with Timothy and with Epaphroditus. So just a beautiful picture. And what prompted all that? Just simply God's love. So the gospel is that story. It's shocking. It's beautiful. As we look at the atrocities across the world, as we look at these atrocities facing these families, we don't have a God or a deity that doesn't understand harm, that doesn't understand pain, that doesn't understand hurt, that doesn't understand loss. He lost his son, his perfect son. Even with little July, uh, Kevin and Joni's son, he's four years old, but he sinned tens of thousands of times, right? Even at four years old. And so um, he wasn't a perfect son. He's a wonderful son um, with Kenzie Wright, 15 years old, life snuffed out. She wasn't perfect though. She wasn't holy though. Tens of thousands of sins, right? So we needed the God-man, Jesus Christ, to come and be our representative, our new Adam that would be the holy, unspotted, uh, unblemished lamb to take on our sin and to offer as a holy sacrifice because God is holy. So that's why he had to be holy and he had to be God's son and he had to be God because none of us was going to do 10,000 of us dying on a cross a thousand of us the best of our people saying hey we're all going to do a sacrificial humanitarian thing of the best people we're going to die on crosses a thousand of us 10,000 that wouldn't have taken away sins it had to be Jesus so Paul says that's why these two men are living their life the way they do. And so look at that first example of Timothy there in verses 19 through 24. It's this example of sacrificial joy. Paul just says, you know, he, he's very close to these Philippians, says, I hope uh, in the Lord Jesus, so he's putting his trust in that, not just making plans blindly, but says, um, I want to send Timothy to you soon um, so that you'd be cheered of my news of you. Um, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so he brings up this idea of Timothy, that he has been a partner with Paul in the gospel. If you know the other stories, Timothy has traveled with Paul on many occasions, and they did just what we're doing. They they were doing church planting. Um, They were doing um, missions work and church planting. And then the church that is established in Ephesus, uh, one of the first churches, Timothy end, ends up being the lead pastor there at the church of Ephesus. So when you then you see the letters that Paul wrote to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, um, those are both to um, that church in Ephesus and to Timothy as a leader, as his close disciple. Um, and so he says, I have no one like him. Here's one of the qualities about him. He is genuinely concerned about your welfare. And then he says, um, they all, for they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. So um, as you see this, um, you see these, these tendencies that Timothy has. And he says, everyone seeks their own interests, but not those of Christ. Earlier, Paul had said this. Um, this is the exact characteristics he wrote about previously in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significantly than you consider yourselves. Do you remember that? Do nothing from from selfish ambition. Consider others more significant. That's what Timothy has done. Paul's going, this is the type of man that he's been. So for a lot of men, this is the goal. It's not necessarily a positional title, but it's just, man, are you that type of man? Are you that type of leader for your family? Are you raising um, kids that understand that that's the goal in life? Um, you may not get accolades and awards and financial compensation for it, but you're living out that type of godliness. 
Um, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what did he say? What's weird about Timothy is he looks to everyone else's others. He's not even concerned about his own welfare. He's concerned about your welfare. And so a beautiful picture there. I wonder how many inside the church today, or maybe those who consider themselves Christians, maybe maybe in the, the Bible Belt area, who consider themselves Christian, who are just as Paul described here, seeking their own interests and not even the interests of Jesus Christ. You see it all the time. You're, you're probably surrounded by people who definitely, they would say, you know, I live in Oklahoma, so I'm definitely a Christian. But you see their life, and their life is only about selfish ambition. They have no time for the people around their life, definitely not to go and meet needs or to help someone or to spend a few hours caring for or helping or serving. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just all concerned about their own needs, their, their own desires. And Paul says, Timothy is completely different. He's always concerned about the welfare of others, not just himself. Sadly, there's a lot of church leaders who have in the Western church who have created kind of this new way of following Jesus, which is actually not following Jesus at all, where there, there is no expectation of commitment. There is no expectation um, to commitment to Jesus or commitment to his church body, no commitment to his mission, but yet they still believe that they are in Christ. And so what churches have done is like, hey, people don't really want to be here. Let's make this as light and easy. Let's make it as short as possible. No commitment. In fact, it was over 20 years ago, if you guys remember, thankfully this thing has died off, but the emergent church, which now is dead in the coffin, but they thought it was a cool new thing. And so anything that looks structural of church, like gathering together, a church building, they're like, do away with all that. No more preaching. Let me get a, a comfortable little chair. Uh, let me just, you know, like sit up here and, and and we'll make this like a living room, and, and we'll do this stuff. Anything that looks um, institutional church, we've got to get away from all those forms and structures. And also the message. Uh, we don't want to be um, confrontive. Um, we just need to talk about feelings a lot more. How do you feel about Jesus? How does he feel about you? Um, and so the emergent church, uh, thankfully, was only around for a short period of time. But that was what they were doing. They were trying to make it less committed. Well, other churches mainstream churches, big box churches said, hey, that's really popular. People don't like to feel pressured. So churches that always do every Sunday, like walk down the aisle and become a member, walk down the aisle, become a member, check this box, make sure you're giving to our our tithe. People don't, don't do that. Tell people, we're not even concerned about you being members. We don't have a membership at all. That feels pretty good, doesn't it? Like, we we trust that you guys will come. We trust that you'll even give when you want to give. So that sounds really good. Sounds very private. We all like that. What happens when this couple starts going down a rough path? What happens when this, 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 this mom or this dad or this person starts getting into some things that are clearly destructive and sinful? Well, we, we, we don't want to crimp your style. We, we don't want to uh, you know, make any kind of judgments on you. That's not loving. Their soul may be proving that they're not even a true believer. But now you've made this distance and this comfortable distance and this cushiony gap. And so churches began to do that going, that's what people want. That's what will keep them. Actually, remember that like we talked about last week, the paradoxes. Less is more. Less commitment may trick them to where they'll be more committed. Instead of just being upfront and honest, like, no, we care about your soul. If you start cheating on your wife and doing these things, we're concerned about your soul. 
We, we want to pursue you in love, not because we're mad at you, not because we want to destroy you, but because we love you. Um, and so that, that's a loving thing to do. And so churches have created this no commitment, no form of following version of Christ. So how many hearts are there today? In Paul's statement, as he says, Timothy, not Timothy. Man, he has your welfare. He's not like the others. Um, everyone seeks their own interests, not those of Christ but not Timothy. So are you living that kind of life? Are you, is it evident in your life that you are truly concerned? Not, not concerned about coming in and checking a box of attendance, uh, but are you concerned? Do you care about the people in your life? Um, one of the saddest but most beautiful things was up there in that emergency room um, the other night. It's just dark. There's, it started with 50 people and they got in about 40, then about 30 by probably one o'clock, and no talking. It's like four hours of just silence. Just everyone's just in a stare. Every time the door opens up, you're wondering. Um, and you're just, just, it's just silence. But yet there were people there and they walked out. Both Krista come out and uh, Damon come out and said, I don't even know what you guys are still doing here. Like, it's so incredible to walk out of that room and then to walk out here and to see you people and to embrace you people. There, there's just something there. That should be unique right? That should be part of the Christian experience. That should be the fellowship saints. That doesn't happen if you're just so disconnected that I don't even really know them. And let's be honest, I don't care about them. I've never cared. In the five years or 10 years that we've gone to church with them, they don't matter to me. I don't care. Oh, their daughter's dying. Oh, it's sad. Hey, what are we going to eat tonight? And you know, there's some big critiques. Uh, John Piper's son, uh, or very famous theologian, pastor, uh, brilliant thinker and everything. One of his sons makes that one of his biggest things is like, don't, don't kid yourselves, Christians. He, he's turned against the church and he, he's very honest. Says, you, you gather and say that this is so important and yet you're more concerned about getting to Chili's or Cracker Barrel than walking past all the lost people that are out there. Probably something legitimate. Like if, if we never are slow enough to go, man, part of worship is the mission also, Right? Do we just walk past people and not care about sharing the truth? And again, don't have to make it this awkward, forceful, like in their face thing, but just do we even care about the people in our body or the mission of Christ? And Paul says, Timothy, he's lived that out. He's partnered in the gospel with me. So those are some beautiful things that, that he brings out about Timothy. Um, and, and here's what's interesting. These are not extreme cases. This is just the ABCs. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus were not necessarily doing anything extreme, right? They were just living out what Paul had said. Hey, Philippians church, this is how you should live. Don't be so concerned with yourself as ambition. Um, look to the needs of others. Timothy, Epaphroditus, they do that. They're dear to my heart because they care for you guys in the same way. Um, so it's not extreme expectations for Bible characters like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are baseline norms, the basics. And I think that we all know that. Um, we just get into ruts where we, we, we just really have a, a hardened heart where we don't care. The next section that he goes into with the characteristics of Epaphroditus, notice those, those words that he first says about Epaphroditus. Um, I've thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you. Um, my brother, notice these five terms, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger 
and minister to my needs. So he has five titles there. Um, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Um, a very intimate term of brother. Often we may see Christians and recognize them as Christians, but we have no commitment, no level of care, no involvement, no affections uh, for one another. Um, that, so, so like we're, when we're at Metro or we're in a place where there's a lot of believers there, um, I can assume that those people are at least assuming they're Christian. Obviously, I don't know if they're truly following Christ or they're Christians, but they're, they're wearing Christian stuff. They're, they're at this Christian place, right? And so um, there should be something distinct and different about my engagement with you guys than with them. Even though they're, they're Christian, I'm committed to you. I can't be committed to all of them. And it's beautiful on the night when I think they do senior night and they talk about the, the I forget how many, over a hundred and something churches or however many churches that people, different people that go to the school are, are committed to. They're going to different churches, over a hundred and something churches, maybe much more than that. But I'm not always showing up at the hospital for them. I'm not, you guys aren't showing up at all of their things. We can't do all those things, but the local body, there is a commitment there, right? There should be degrees and levels of intimacy there. There should be uh, areas of trust to where in our small groups and our gospel communities, we can begin to open up about our, our fears. Uh, while we, some of our concerns, health scares, things that we're facing. It should be an environment where we can be honest and transparent and authentic and say, I'm not perfect. I need much of Jesus' help right now. And sometimes churches, that's, that's not the case. Instead, it's you better show up and put on your game face, and you better present an image or a performance that everything's good. We're always good. And so the lost world usually looks at us like that, like they just think they're so good. Sometimes that's maybe what we're putting on, and we're not open and honest. It's hard for us to be authentic and share those things. He's saying, he's my brother. Would a brother in a, in a normal situation, in a good situation, wouldn't they be able to share struggles that, that, that they're having with one another? Wouldn't they be able to share difficulties? That's the ideal way. You wouldn't want to have, be going through all these difficult times in life and have nothing to let your brother or sister know about that, right? And he says, Epaphroditus is, is, is my brother. You see that? Beautiful picture there. Um, he says, he's my fellow worker and he's my fellow soldier. Well, that word fellow worker lets you know that you know, he's involved in doing something. He's involved in the mission of Christ. And then the next term there, the soldier is talking about, this is a reminder that Epaphroditus sees this as spiritual warfare. He's a fellow soldier with me in the spiritual war. Um, it implies the weightiness of danger, of risk, sometimes facing those difficulties. And, and he had said, um, he almost lost his life for the sake of Christ, for the sake of getting more gospel news um, for you guys. Is there any chance that many people have grown cold in their affections or service or willingness to live sacrificially for the kingdom of God? It's a very common thing going on right now. Like I've told you guys, 50 to 60 million people that were in church in 2010 or 2015 that have left the church in America. Now, if you knocked on those 50 to 60 million doors and said, hey, are, are you guys uh, still Christians? Oh, of course. And, and sadly, as I've been around a, a lot of folks, what, what comes out is we're doing more of Christian stuff by ourselves instead of the church. So we're, we're using all of our finances and resources to do this little, this little kind of side project that we're doing. We're, we're dumping all of our money in here because we don't like the church or we don't like the music or we don't like whatever. We're doing more service over here 
outside because we don't like this. Do you see what happens? Who's your fellowship of people? Who are you committed to? Who are you living life with? Who knows your struggles and your sins and is praying for you? No one. It's a dangerous area to be living life as a, a Lone Ranger Christian. And it's very popular and accepted nowadays. And so Paul says, not Epaphroditus. He's a brother. He's a fellow worker and he's a fellow soldier in this spiritual warfare. Um, and then he says, if you remember Philippians, he is your messenger and minister to my need. So the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus when the Philippian church had heard that Paul was imprisoned in Rome and probably facing death because a lot of disciples had already been being killed off, then they said, we want to know about Paul. Epaphroditus was a very trusted uh, individual at that point. What's interesting is they send some money and some gifts, so financial support for Paul in Rome, and Rome's in prison there, and they want to hear back from Epaphroditus. They wanted to send this gift and this financial support, and then they expected Epaphroditus to return back to tell them, yes, Paul is going to be put to death, or, hey, Paul may be freed. So they were waiting on those words, except now Epaphroditus doesn't come back. And another month passes, and Epaphroditus doesn't come back. And another month passes. So, you know, a couple of people on that finance team started going, hey, I think Epaphroditus, he took the money and ran. Is he, where's he at? Why is he not back? Again, there's, there's no calling people. Hey, is Epaphroditus up there? What's he doing? And so none of those things. And so there must have been some questioning of to his um, trustworthiness. But the way that Paul says this, the wording that he uses um, is just, he wants to encourage them. And so he was from Philippi. He was a believer there. And Paul knew that some were questioning his integrity. Um, what's taking him so long? What if he took the money and ran? Um, and he wanted them to know, hey, hey, Epaphroditus, here's the type of trustworthy guy that, that, that he is. And he was actually sick. He was actually where you were thinking maybe a fake and took it and ran. No, actually, he was facing death for Christ. Here's the type of sacrificial life that he's living. And so um, Paul wanted him to know that. And I'm sending him back to you. Hey, if you're thinking bad about him, honor such men. Hey, are you that type of man? It's easy to point fingers. It's easy to quickly, before you even know stuff, just start guessing and, 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 and uh, accusing when actually he's on his deathbed because of his love for Christ and his love for you. And that happens so often. Just little bitty things can happen. Um, it says he nearly died for the work of Christ. Um, it's why Paul would use these as direct examples. He says, honor such men. Receive him with joy, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Um, this is what Paul had talked about, about Christ, of this sacrificial joy. Um, that, that Christ had come and died on the cross because the cross was miserable, uh, taking on our sins. Not only just the physical pain of the cross, but the, the, the spiritual weight of taking on sins. The Holy One of God taking on the guilt of sin. And that was a sacrificial thing. It says um, in the, that he would look beyond the cross to the joy set before him. That he knew that, that what? Going through the cross would redeem a people. That would be truly um, servants of God, um, followers of Christ. So as we look at that, um, what, what do we walk away with for, for our own lives? As we look at um, um, Paul's use of Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, one thing is that it's very easy to know the facts about Jesus and that not to change us. 
um, to know the story of Christianity, uh, maybe some bullet points about Jesus. We're surrounded right here in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt with a lot of people who know all the facts about Jesus that, oh yeah, I know Jesus died for sins, but that hasn't changed them. That hasn't uh, really affected their heart and mind to where they're in worship of Christ, that they now see him as the only true God, the one true God. Um, So I would have you consider the version of Christianity that Paul describes in this section and take some time to assess what version of Christianity are you living out? Uh, Would you be someone, if they were writing a letter and sending you with a letter, what would they be saying about you? Would they be um, saying, man, no one like this guy, no one like this woman. Here's the integrity. Here's their commitment to Christ. They They love Christ so much, they'd be willing to die for your sake and for Christ's sake. Would that be what they were writing? Or would they be saying, Man, I don't even know if this letter's going to actually make it. Like he may stop off at the casino and disappear with another family. He he he's he's so lazy he won't even. Get, I don't even know if he'll make it back. He may just just you know go another route. Well, what what describes your um, living for Christ? Your version of Christianity? And then for those who would say, Sankey, I just really don't know very much about the Christian life. I, I don't know much about the whole story of Jesus. I don't understand God's story of redemption. I'd have you consider the gospel as good news. If Remember, the word gospel just means good news. Um, it's good news as opposed to the bad news that all men and all, all men and all women are under the weight of their sins. All men and women are carrying their own sins. Um, and you may try to do all the good deeds, but nothing is removing your sins. And the good news is that it it takes over the bad news. It cancels out the bad news. The gospel, the good news says your sins can be forgiven completely. That there's no other name, like we read earlier, that that people are going to bow down to. That there's no other name that people are going to confess. Jesus is Lord and Master. That there's only one way of salvation. And that the only way to have those sins forgiven and to spend eternity in heaven is to to find your salvation in Christ alone. It's very clear in Paul's writings that this salvation message is only based upon grace, meaning it's undeserved favor, that God is pouring out grace. I'm giving this free gift to you, this gift of grace, that the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, um, that is a free gift, this salvation, this forgiveness of sins. And I'm, I'm pouring that out to you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just receive it and ask for forgiveness and, and put your faith in him. And that, that, doesn't seem to fit a lot of our thinking. That doesn't seem to fit a lot of our um, mindsets. So true salvation um, is something that I would just invite you to consider, this grace gift of salvation. So let me pray as Jeremy comes back up, and we'll do one song of response, and then we will um, do the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for um, just the Holy Spirit and his wisdom uh, and the wisdom of the Trinity to be able to show us living examples uh, not only like Paul, but, but people that we would probably consider a couple of notches down from Paul. Um, Timothy, Epaphroditus, many others that Paul mentions in his letters. Thank you for those examples, Lord. Um, we know that we cannot be exactly like Christ, but we can try to live and aspire to live out what the, the, the words of Scripture tell us to live out, the exhortations in Scripture. So thank you for men and women that have lived that out. Um, We pray, Father, that you would bring salvation to those around us, that so many that are um, maybe misled by past religious experiences, so many misled by 
um, uh, quick sinner's prayer that, that, that don't even understand what it meant. Um, so many that are confused on um, what, what Jesus is, what Jesus has come for. Um, so many confused on what true salvation is. I pray for you to open people's eyes to see the beauty of what he has done in his um, death on the cross and his resurrection. We thank you for this word from Paul. We thank you for um, a time to gather together in this. And now would you allow our hearts to be open to receive um, um, just life-changing, transforma- transformational power from the Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.